Hello, everybody out there. We have another Views from the Bench. I am Ryan Blake, and I am excited to have uh, McFarland Youth Hockey President Andy Polios on the show today. Andy, how are you doing? I'm good. Awesome. Well, one of the reasons why I have you on the show today, and I'm excited to talk to you right now, is because um, usually we do all these interviews and we, we talk to coaches and we get their view on the game, the way it's played, how it, how it should be played, and things like that in terms of development. Uh, getting your perspective as a, as a youth hockey president, you get to see the whole picture. You get to see everything. And, and I think that's a unique vantage point to talk about because we're going to talk about development. We're going to talk about uh, what's coming up for your next season with the, the new safe at home and COVID situation going in. And, and, then, and, and then most importantly, we're going to talk about what your thoughts are as a president and how, how you want to help your organization and association. So. I'm excited to have you on. I'm looking forward to, to having this talk. So, uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm always excited to talk hockey. Awesome. It's it's great to talk hockey in this time period too, because like that's one of the things that not a lot of people are are able to do on a on a regular basis now. Like you can't just go to the rink and uh, you know just just talk to your, your buddy's parents or you know it's 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 unique. I'm, I'm sure McFarland. Actually, I know McFarland is the same way as Fond du Lac right now, and we don't allow parents in the rink. Yeah, everyone's going through hockey withdrawal right now. We have to. We should probably be reaching out to hockey moms everywhere for support right now. They're probably going crazy. So yeah, you know, it's it's one of the funny things too. We uh, we're, we're, uh, we're we've kind of deemed them in front of them parking lot parents and the amount of uh, parents that are hanging out outside and things like that. And I know as uh, I know yesterday we got some we got quite a bit of rain here and, and people were actually talking about on a Monday like well we can't hang out outside tomorrow they actually sit in their cars and. Some parents are like, well, we can text the entire time. And I was like, so this is what it's come to, like, in the parking lot now? And they're like, yeah, like, we have to adapt, too. we got to hang out somehow. And I was yeah. like, oh, so you guys don't just sit around the grass critiquing my practice now. And they're like, oh, we don't critique your practice. But I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Well, hockey is kind of amazing that way. Like, I didn't grow up as a hockey player, but the sort of camaraderie between parents and the sort of internal hockey culture is much, much more pronounced and strong than other sports that I was involved with. So that was a big adjustment for me when I started um, as a hockey dad with my kid, for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's awesome because that's one of the things, too. We talk about, you know, like I grew up and, you know, a lot of my friends when I grew up, they were all my hockey players, right, all my hockey teammates. And, uh, and then I, I look back and I never realized that a lot of my parents' friends were their friends because they were my teammates growing up and they kept those relationships going. And, and then now all of a sudden, I think one of the most awesome parts about being a hockey parent is like I, my, my daughter's playing, you know, when you see another hockey parent out at a restaurant or something like that, you always can stop and talk hockey with them, no matter what's going on. And, you know, and like you have that, you have that bond, yep. that camaraderie with each other. You guys, you guys know what it's like to take off work on a Friday and drive four hours to Eagle river and, and play in a, in a tournament, you know, and, and stuff like that and you know people talk about the hockey bonds of players but the hockey bonds of parents is just as strong out there and it's it's a unique sport but i guess that's why we love it it's why we keep coming back every year you know what i mean yeah it's probably even strong i'm guessing it's stronger that would be kind of a weird analysis but what percentage of your friends as an adult are because of your kids youth sport uh participation it's probably alarmingly high for hockey parents so oh yeah yeah and you know what the one thing is yeah uh, and, and you know hockey players are all like we kind of we kind of always say that to each other like you know like and that's one of the reasons why I, I know when i moved around to schools a lot as a kid uh, it was pretty easy for me to make friends because all the hockey players were somewhat similar right and you had an instant bond with the people you knew what it was like right and you played the sport with them hockey parents are no different you know you walk into a new association or a new team and boom you got it. You got an instant core group of friends. You got fifteen new friends on your team right there, hanging out yeah. with you. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I agree. Like, you're. This is all making me think about how difficult this year might be, just with stuff. But that's that was for sure my experiences when I started it. When Ty was a mite, that yeah. automatically met new people. I even met and got to be really good friends with coworkers at work because that I didn't know at work, but then I met them through the hockey association. So yeah. It's awesome. family. Yeah. So before we get into some of it, um, you know, you talked about you didn't, you, you, you know, what is your background in hockey? What is your playing back? I mean, or, you know, if not playing background, your coaching background or, you know, and how you got involved with McFarland Youth Hockey? Yeah. I always tell folks that, um, that uh, either that I coach or um, 
that I interact with in um, ties AAA teams and stuff is I have absolutely zero credibility as a hockey coach or a mm-hmm. hockey person other than I grew up in Minnesota and that earns me like 20% credibility, I guess. But yeah. I had a lot of friends as a kid that were hockey players and um, I played every other sport, but hockey, we played a ton of roller hockey and just pond hockey and stuff as a kid. But um, my dad was a basketball coach. And so I was a basketball player and you couldn't do both. And um, we always loved watching hockey and we were big North stars fans. And I lived, I grew up in the, you know, the really good North stars teams of the late eighties. So we had Dino Cicerelli and Neil Broughton, all those guys, but Mike Madano, man, Mikey, Mikey Madano. Yeah. Okay. And then they broke our hearts when they left and we all hated people from Texas. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a big deal for me, but it was, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't get started. I think maybe um, we can talk about this later in terms of organizational development, but it's really hard in the eighties uh, and maybe still today, if you don't start early in hockey, there's not good pathways to get started as an older kid. Um, yeah. But I, I started skating when Ty started skating when I was 37, I think, or 38 years old. And um, when you're coaching on the ice six days a week, you get really good at skating if you want to. Yeah. So I get more ice time than probably just about anybody. But and it's, 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 you bring up an interesting point. You, you kind of got back into the game. And, and uh, you know, as a coach, it, you know, getting back with Ty, we talk about one of the things I'm, I'm assuming you did um, just, you know, knowing you, it, it would be you probably soaked up a lot of information right away. You, you were you were a sponge. You were trying to get out there and learn it and pick up as much as you could, because I, I'm sure you're well aware if you are prepared and you are ready to go, that experience you're going to give the kids is much better. Right. And uh, can you give me a little bit of background? Like, What did you do as a coach coming into it? Not really having played the game a lot, but, um, you know, what did you do to learn quickly and, and pick up on things? Yeah. Um, well, you know, maybe I, so I was a high school girls basketball coach and stuff when I taught high school in Northern Wisconsin. So I've always been kind of a coaching addict. Um, but yeah, when I started in hockey, you know, through USA hockey, it's, it's really, if, if you want to learn, there's just a million different ways to learn and develop. And, um, our organization did a good job of that. Of course I went to all the coaching clinics, but I kind of would, geek out at more with like friends that I'd made through coaching and really good coaches in the Dane County area that coach ties teams. And, and nowadays, of course, there's man webinars. I mean, all the stuff you guys are doing, USA hockey's doing um, just a lot of education that way. And um, our old hockey director, I mean, I used to sit at the rink with him till 11 at night and just pick his brain. So I was, I was kind of a dork, you know, I just kind of, you know, sponged all that stuff up. That's just kind of how I am. So um, that's why I always describe myself now as a full-time hockey coach, hockey president, and a part-time human being. So, um, you know, I know the feeling. It's one of those things too when you're talking about information, learning, and soaking it up. Like I, I, I love to sit there on my Instagram account and just go through. You know, all and if you look at my Instagram account, all you're going to see is is hockey programs, hockey camps, things like that, drills. And I love watching the drills on Instagram. The only thing I wish people would do more of, and I'm guilty of it too, because I don't. When I put up the drill up there, I don't ever usually explain like what what my purpose is. I put it up there and you know show people what I do. And but that's one of the things I love doing. Is I love watching a drill and kind of like trying to figure out what this coach's purpose is, what he's trying to teach in it, and things like that. Yeah, and you can learn so much from just watching drills and watching videos, and you know just you know bopping in and watching a U8 practice. You know you can pick up on things and use them for your high school practices. And I think that's one of the things too is you know coaches sometimes get in this rut like well you know they think they know everything or they think but then they come to find out that you know they can have a whole different paradigm shift just by watching a u6 practice and what that can benefit their bantam team you know yeah for sure yeah last summer um my kid was in a fleming three and three camp and rich smith was his coach i used to just go to the practices and just steal all of rich's drills or rick's drills whoever they were um but it does really help the best the best feeds, um, the best things actually tell, not just show the drill visually, but also give you the the pointers and the tips and that that kind of stuff. I stole a lot of stuff off of your YouTube page the last few years, Ryan, and and I kept complaining to your brother and saying like, you know, you got to get Ryan to put some explanation of exactly what he's talking about here because I think not growing up a hockey player, sometimes things that are obvious to to longtime hockey players aren't to newer coaches or whatnot. So 
Yeah, and that's that is something that I've I've, I've acknowledged, and I actually through my hockey factory homeschool program, I started getting people that were that were uh, they're commenting and they were saying like, well, you, you do this drill, like, what am I doing it for? Like, what's the what's the what's the purpose of it? And I'd be like, what do you mean? You don't know that it's 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 to be elusive, take a step off the defenseman, so you need a new shooting lane. And they're like, well, you didn't say that. And I'm like, oh, I just thought you knew. Like, and I, I'm guilty of it, and I and I understand that. And that's one of the things that I always always said like. I need to do a better job of, and that's one of the things too. Is like, I mean, I just got off the ice about an hour ago with one of the kids, and I said, "Do you guys know what the purpose of this drill is?" And the kid goes, and they're like, "No." And I was like, "Why didn't you guys ask?" And the guy goes, "Well, it's kind of insulting to ask a coach what's the purpose of the drill." <laughs> like, I was like, it's "A tough question." Yeah, yeah I was like, ah, that's, "That's a good point." Like, I get it. He doesn't want to skate mountains, so he probably <laughs> didn't ask. Yeah, I was like, "I'm not gonna get offended by it. If you, if you want to know why we're doing the drill, just ask. I'll tell you." I go, "But if you're doing it to be like condescending or a smart aleck, like don't ask. Like, don't do that." Um, yeah. But uh, getting off that topic real quick, I just want to know, how did you get involved with McFarland Youth Hockey and, and then eventually become its president? Um, I mean, the, the somewhat non-cynical and truthful answer is I showed up. Um, I think it's not as much as some of my good friends like to give me a hard time about being the president and, you know, the lavish salary and all that stuff. You know, it's it's really you do this stuff because you love kids and you love um you love the organization, you see the value of it for the families and community. But, um, you know, I just probably asked too many questions of people on the board. And so they invited me to the spring meeting. And then when no one raised their hand to um, run for the board, somebody nominated me and I was too dumb to say no. And, um, you know, the next thing I knew I was on the board for a couple of years. And then once I get interested in things, it's I just can't help but want to want to be a little bit more involved so yeah yeah that's that's, that's an awesome point because that's what happens at a lot of associations it's like you know you get someone invites you to one of the board meetings and next to you know it's one of the board meetings that they're electing the board of directors and you find out that you're there for that reason and people are like oh boy but that's that's an awesome yeah. thing that happens within associations and like you know i work for a rink and, and all my board of directors are volunteers they get no money they get no salary which i'm sure you guys are the same right. way. You guys do it because you have a genuine interest in improving the game for people. And, and for that, I, I say thank you to that. It's, I mean, I, I think people who donate their time and things like that to, to, to make a great experience for kids, they don't get enough thanks for it. And and frankly, I've seen the other side of it from your guys' thing. When I've seen, in fact, some of the times you guys get a lot of, you see a lot of the negative side of it. You, see, you only hear like the complaints and things like that. And not a lot of people are thanking you guys for what you do do. So. But yeah. if, if I get off topic, I just want to tell you, like, you're doing a great job, and thank you for everything you've done. And you know, to every other board of director out there who's volunteering, oh, thank you too, because you guys are doing the job that that keeps kids on the ice and you keep things affordable and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it's yeah. the same thing we have in Fond du Lac with you know with, with the way our board of directors work, and um, and it's great to see that uh, associations that have people like yourself that step up, and then not only do people step up, but when they step up they're willing to learn and improve things like, you know, and I love it. I love it when people get interested and they get involved, you know, like actually behind me right now, if you guys can see the guy on the tractor, um, that's our club president right now. We're putting the ice back in and he came here on his lunch break and he's, he's, he's spraying down the ice because we're trying to put more line, uh, water on the lines before we, before we get out there and use it again. But like, he's not getting paid for that. Like, and that's one thing I know you guys do the same exact thing. You're there volunteering. You help put glass in on certain events. You put ice in you, you do all these things and, and thank you. So, yeah. And our whole, our whole, I mean, in order to make a nonprofit like this run for as little money as possible, like every member of our association does something, whether it's running, working in the concession stand or helping with putting on a state tournament last year or, um, helping Christian and Rob, you know, fix stuff at the rink. You know, I think Christian has an unofficial electrician now that happens to be a Pee Wee you know, Bantam parent. So it's just, that's what it takes to make these things run at, you know, for as little cost as possible. So that's all good. That's all the fun stuff. So. Oh yeah. It's, it's a bartering system in blue line here. And you know, I, it's awesome because I talked to some of the people at tier one organizations across the country and, and they would talk about fees and talk about how much things are. And I, I think a lot of people, uh, are blown away at, at what some of the rinks in Wisconsin are able to accomplish based on volunteer coaches, volunteer, you know, boards, volunteer, um, you know, workers around the rink. Like I'm, I'm like I, the bartering system is alive and well in Fond du Lac. 
Like, if, if you're an electrician, like I got a, I got a job for you. If you're, if you're a plumber, I got a job for you. If you're a, you know, and I'm not willing to, I'm, I'm, excuse me, I'm willing to barter just about anything, you know, like for, for people to come in and do jobs. I found out like, you know, I can take a kid, give them a, you know, a couple of lessons and you know, that that's going to give me all my plumbing work for a year and yeah. it works and it's awesome. And I think it's do awesome. Plumbers have to pay for anything in life. I don't know if plumbers, plumbers are everyone's yeah. best friend probably. <laughs> yeah. And that's, what's yeah. great about our, our volunteers do 30 hours a week. Uh, but that's the thing, and I'm sure you guys are the same, or 30 hours a year. I'm sure you guys are the same way. Your volunteers are probably doing way more than 30. Um, we have some, we I think the minimum is 20, and our mm -hmm. most of them are doing concessions work in order to kind of staff that. Yeah. Um, but then we have service coordinator. We have service hours that are given to coordinator positions, so we run like pond hockey and open skates mm -hmm. and um, fundraising events and stuff like that. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's one of the things. We have volunteer Zamboni drivers, and I know people. When I tell them that, they're always like shocked, and like I'm like, well, you know, like we train people, we get them going. We have the Zamboni maintenance guy. He calls himself the Iceman, and he's a he's an awesome guy to have around. He he does all of his work for free, and he helps train all our Zam drivers on it. We get them out there, and you know, within a few weeks, we got people trained, and they're driving a hundred thousand dollar piece of machinery around, hoping we don't run into the boards. Yeah, so, we used to have volunteer. Zam drivers for exactly that last reason. So uh, yeah. I was there a couple of times when we heard loud bangs, and that ended the volunteer Zamboni driver experiment. But yeah, there's there's a few Zamboni drivers I've had to see uh, that we've had to cut down and kind of say, hey, you know what, maybe this job isn't for you. But then, you know, it's it's been an awesome experience that when you see somebody that's uh, they're willing to Zam before them, they Zam after them, and you know, everyone it kind of helps it helps grow the game. You know, like. I mean, your fees aren't nearly as much as I've heard some of the fees out there are. And, you know, like when you hear about fees that are pushing 15000 a year and, you know, it scares off a lot of parents. But like then all of a sudden you have an, an association like yours that's able to keep the game affordable. It's able to keep the game so kids can play it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the most important thing. And, and that's you can't do that without your volunteers that are helping, you know, put in the work. And, and then people like yourself who are helping manage those volunteers. But That's yeah. the one of our number one priorities as a board is – maintaining uh, affordability. I think when I got into hockey, all of my friends thought I was crazy because the rumor on the street is hockey is by far the most expensive sport and that, you know, you're going to be driving to Hayward every weekend or whatever. But that's mm -hmm. definitely not the case. It's not been my experience. My other, my daughter plays uh, club volleyball, which is uh, more along the lines of what it would cost to play, uh, you know, a tier one sort of hockey yep. thing. So um, I think... You know, we we did an anal we raised fees last year, and we did a lot of analyses to figure out how we were compared to other Dane County associations. And we've got costs down to um, I think we're the second, maybe the second cheapest in the county. But um, that's that's a big deal for us. We also created a scholarship program last year because um, we didn't we didn't want to have people making decisions not to play because they couldn't afford it. You know, I feel like if we're gonna grow the game and and especially reach out to more diverse audiences in Dane County. Um, affordability is a big a big deal. So we're working on that. This year is going to test that. Um, thinking a lot a lot even more about that this year because of you know the increasing unemployment and maybe people struggling to pay the bills. This is going to be a tough year. Um, so that's kind of some of the stuff we'll be talking about over the summer with our board. So let's get into a little bit of that right now, as far as you know, the you know the COVID nineteen and the situation. And it's one of the things I've been interested in hearing what other rinks are thinking and 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 possibly planning on. But what's your take on the next season as a, as a uh, as a president of a youth association? Where do you see the season going, and what are some of your thoughts on it in general? Yeah, well, right now, I mean, obviously, no one knows for sure what's going to happen this fall and winter. Um, I told our our. Uh, at our spring meeting, I told the larger group, you know, in one way we were kind of lucky for hockey, you know, uh, my kids team and some other teams made it to the state and that got canceled. And that was a real, you know, a huge disappointment uh, to the group. But on the other hand, um, we, we were, hockey's kind of the last group to have to deal with COVID in a more formal way from a club perspective. 
you know, soccer, baseball, they're all going through it when um, there's a lot more uncertainty. And so they had to cancel and stuff. Um, I don't know that we're going to have to cancel a season. We're planning on having a season, um, but we're building in a lot of contingency plans and flexibility. Um, we're lucky that USA Hockey and the Rinks Association and our rink are being real proactive about um, safety, a safety first culture and, and kind of rethinking the hockey experience so that there's just as little person to person contact as possible, especially for more at risk groups. So um, I was joking with some parents uh, in, the, in the parking lot the other day when Ty was going to a hockey factory camp that, um, you know, get, get ready to be dressing in a parking lot for the rest of our, the rest of our season. And he kind of looked at me funny, but that's kind of, you know, that's probably what it's going to be like, you know, you're going to, you're going to show up at the rink with all your gear on and skate guards are going to become a real thing again. Um, I guess good skate guards and, and we're going to need to reduce the number of people that just hang out in the rink and talk during practice. Like it's just not good not gonna be a thing that's so like i said hockey moms are gonna probably struggle more than kids i yeah. think uh i think kids kids are adaptable they'll if we tell them there's not going to be a 40 game season but you're going to get to play you know tons of small area games at practice and we'll schedule games with local dane county teams it would be a thing for like a week and then you know they just get over it it's kind of like tryouts you know parents get so uptight about what team their kids going to be on and how they'll react to it. And then a week, you know, two days later, the kid that um, is most worried about it is having just as much fun as he always had with whatever team he's on. So I think they'll, they'll be more adaptable than the adults will and, and grandparents probably. So I think, I think you have a good point there. It's like being able to adapt. One of the things that I've, I've realized through um, just the situation that we're in right now is um, people are, they appreciate being back on the ice. They, they appreciate having uh, the opportunity to skate and practice again. And I think one of the things is that parents right now, they're open to the, any changes we're going to have right now. And I have, you know, I, we run our, our skates here. And when I first came out saying we're going to have eight kids you know, at a time and, you know, the, you know, the price obviously goes up because we can't have as many kids. on. I didn't, you know, we didn't get any negative feedback. It was one of those things like, no, we get it. And then even our high school kids who I was like, Oh boy, like telling them they got to dress at home now. I can't wait to see how that's going to go over. And I haven't heard anything. And in fact, I've been hearing like, no, it's okay. Like, we're just happy we're back. You know, like I had to tell our high schools, you can't use your locker room anymore. And they were like, okay, like that's fine. Like, that, that's okay. And, um, you know, like you said, you hope you get some good skate guards. I, I was joking with somebody. I said, well, if there's ever a chance to buy into a company that makes skate guards, now's the time because, yeah. like, it's like you're going to see a lot more of that where, um, you know, and that's the other thing too. Parents and kids have adapted. And beforehand, I know there was a lot of kids who had anxiety and things about coming to the rink without their parents there uh, to watch something or if something goes wrong. But you know what? The kids by and large have gotten over that. They've gotten used to not having their parents yeah. hands. And I even the, think that would start going. I think the group that's going to be challenging for us is our U6, U8 and learn to skate. Yeah. Um, that's where we're really struggling to think about how how they because um, those are kids that still at the age where you know for learn to skate of course you know your job as a learn to skate coach is to peel them away from their mom or dad and get them yeah. off the ice and they're gonna cry and all that all that kind of normal stuff that a five or six year old or four year old goes through um, those are just not things that are going to be possible uh, this mm -hmm. year so that's that one is going to be a tough one. So how do you get you sixers completely dressed skates and everything? Cause they can't tie their own skates yep. and into the rink and ready to go without having parents do a lot of, a lot of interaction. Um, but I think, I think you're right. We're, we did a informal survey to see if we, our associate association wanted to run summer pond hockey, which yep. is kind of like a pickup hockey once Dane County goes to phase three and we got really strong signups. So I think people are motivated to get back to it. It's, um, and I know, I know the rinks had good compliance with physical distancing and stuff. So yeah, I'm not too worried about people adjusting. It's, um, I would probably invest in all the streaming services. Um, cause there's going to be a big demand for live streaming game. If we have games, you know, games and practices and all that kind of stuff. So, Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things too, is that, you know, like parents still want to know what's going on. That, that hasn't, um, 
you know, that hasn't left. But uh, their ability to be on the ice and, or be in the rink and see what's happening, you know, it's, has been tough. And we're, we're in that process right now of getting a live stream into our rinks right now. And I know a lot of our parents are kind of pumped up to see what it can be. Um, and uh, but also the flip side of things right now, I will tell you how unbelievably nice it is not to have a parent to have the rink judging your practices all the time yeah. um, and just allowing us to coach your kids in the best way that we know how without that fear of, of someone being like, you know, or, and, and that's, it's, 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 it's one of my other pet peeves I see is when kids are constantly looking at their parents for direction in, in game games that drives me nuts yeah but i see it now i even see that practice where parents they're looking up and their dad's giving them signals in the stands and i'm like oh my gosh like knock it off and yeah. i will tell you i've seen a lot of kids they've been more creative since their parents haven't been there they've been having more fun they've been looser like my practices are they're they're i have i have so much fun at the practices now because i'm not worried about being judged or I'm not worried about what parents think of the practice. And the best part is like the kids are so loose, right? Like they're out there just having fun, right? And they don't have, you know, they're out there just playing the sport. That's what it is. So those are some of the things right now that I've seen that I really enjoy. And that's the other thing you brought up a good point as far as like, when you talk to parents about hockey, like I've, I've kind of started talking too about parents playing hockey and things like that. I, I mean, what's your opinion? Do you think the actual game itself has the possibility of changing as far as travel and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be necessary this year. And then when you have those necessary experiences, you start to realize what things you thought were important aren't maybe as important or what things you really, you really struggle with. I, I think, for a Dane County organization, you know, switching to a, a more uh, practice-oriented local game model, that's not that hard, right? Um, we, we're, we're blessed in that we have a lot of organizations and, a, and it's pretty easy to match talent yeah. and all that kind of stuff for games. If I was a small town hockey association in, you know, central Wisconsin, I, I think it that's going to be really challenging for them. And... Um, I'm I'm glad I don't have to deal with that as much. I don't know that I have any super solid advice for them, but hopefully if they start thinking about it now and um, hopefully Waha will, you know, interact in such a way that it makes it a little bit easier for them to think through that stuff. Yep. And that's one of the things too, is that we talked about internally here. Like sometimes when you when you look at the whole right now, um, and we, you know, and I don't claim to know what's going on. I have no idea what some of the decisions are going to be made for as far as going on with Waha or any other thing with U.S. hockey. But one of the big things for me right now is is understanding that the game is changing. Parents are adapting. Kids are adapting. Everyone seems to be open to things right now. And I'm also like I'm a very big believer that this might be a great time to take a step back and realize like. I, we don't need to travel to Superior for a tournament. We don't need to travel as far anymore. Like, it's okay to develop and stay close to home. Like, you can do everything that you need to do, and your kids will get the same excitement, and, the, and their love for the game will still be there. Um, just the need to travel and play 70 games it, it won't be there for them, and that's okay. Like, yeah. that's perfectly fine. And I'm excited to see that, and I talked about it with when Coach Steve Hart was on from Fox Valley, and I said, like, for me, sometimes I don't see the value of, of going down to, and I use Verona as an excuse, but anywhere. I don't I don't see sometimes, I don't see the value of traveling an hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes to play a two-game set. Your kid gets, you know, 25 minutes on the ice and, you know, and then you've wasted, not wasted, but you you spent 14 hours of your day on a Saturday. On the day, you only have two days off a week. You spent 14 hours of it driving around hockey rinks and sitting in cold rinks. Like, yeah. I know some parents love it, and I and I love that they love it. But at the same time, it's like it's a it's a game. That, like, it's not the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where I think uh, it could be a good thing. It's going to cause us to pivot as um, as associations and or or as a group and pivot and say like, okay, what what is the new normal right now? What can we expect, and what do we think would be good to keep the interest of the kids alive? Right. Yeah. Um, no, I think the. The major, you know, the vast majority of that phenomenon. If you're a, if you're a Dane County team and you're driving all over the state to play the best teams, um, you know that that's not a model that's probably going to work this year. And and you could make an argument that it's really not as important as you think it is. Um, we try to schedule 
think I want to say Ty's team probably played 30 to 35 games last year, you know, kind of excluding, you know, a tournament or whatever. Um, and even that is probably more than we what we really needed to do. Um, yep. If you played the 20 teams that are best suited for you, that's probably enough. And then um, as ice time gets harder to find and as costs go up and as we need to figure out ways to reduce costs, you know, using, instead of playing, we always think of as two games a weekend as standard, but there's lots of teams now that are playing three or four games a weekend. And for six months out of the year, it just, you just can watch kids burn out. Um, it's, it's a real struggle um, watching, watching these kids that you know so well just kind of almost lose interest in hockey by the time March comes around because you know they've just they've just done too much and um, I think I think I've been sort of toying around with that in my head like maybe you just play like 20 to 25 games and use some of that extra ice or extra time to do off ice training or um, or even just go and be a kid or have a weekend again as a family so uh, there's definitely a, a case for that before we before we went live, you you brought up an, a term and I, and uh, you said it and I loved hearing it. You said unwind, um, and you talked about how you said you it, it right now it's looking like hockey is almost kind of unwinding and and there there is a push against a lot of this right now and uh, you know it, it, it yeah I mean my perspective growing up in Rochester Minnesota um, and not you know all the sports I played in Rochester until you got to middle school, it was all rec league because Rochester is a big town and there's plenty, plenty of kids. Um, my friends that played hockey probably weren't quite the same, but, um, and, it, and then the AAU model and the real specialized early model kind of developed in a lot of those sports. Um, and I always felt like hockey got a bad rap that it, it was already there, you know, that the AAU and specialization models were copying hockey. But I feel like since I've become involved in hockey, um, USA Hockey is definitely unwinding a lot of that culture, and it is much more development-based. And um, I think the next phase of that, um, and I know some associations are talking about in Dane County, is how do you engage older kids, um, you know, um, if you, I think the going thought right now is if you're 10 years old and you've never been to open skate, then you could never play hockey. And I think that's a huge problem. You know, that's a big miss for the game of hockey and organizations to be, you know, financially solvent. You know, um, if you lose five or 10% of your kids from an age group every year, by the time they're bantams, you just don't really have that many left um, if you're a smaller organization. So, Re-engaging kids or engaging them when they're 10, 11, 12 years old, really, really important. And if if they come to the rink and they see um, your five ki best kids skating and um, it's a 30 to 60 game schedule and it costs, you know, $3,000, you just, you're never going to get those kids. So we, we probably need to develop like a low cost rec league sort mm -hmm. of option. I think that would be a huge thing for hockey and i know it happens but probably should just be more deliberate about that that sort of thing yeah and, and that's a it's part of the game that is changing right now and you know some some organizations aren't um they're not you know full enough to have rec leagues and things like that but like the other side of the fence too is when we talk about development and things like that when we get away from the model of early specialization that are six seven eight year olds what we start to re realize is that if we build the base and we build that strong enough that the retention rate's gonna be there because you know what, the kids aren't falling off. They're not discouraged because they're not constantly making the A team or the, you know, and that's where I, that's one of the things that we're trying to get away from in Fond du Lac is that we're trying to build our base so that the kids who are on the, you know, maybe our B and C teams, when it comes to the Peewees or Bantams, they have a shot at making the A team, that they're actually getting the coaching they need. We're hoping, we're hopeful that, you know, these kids are, that, that they have that dream of making the A-team or, or becoming a better hockey player is still going to be there and keep them engaged in the sport. Because that's the thing. You, you said if we lose 5% of our kids from the time they're mites to bantams, you know, you're looking at an incoming freshman class of five, six skaters. And yeah. you can see some of the smaller associations right now, they're struggling to field high school teams. But they have 90 mites. Yeah, that's right. Good, right. And you're like, what? Like what, what, and that's my question to a lot of people is like, well, okay, sweet. You have 90 mics, but 
why why is it your high school team has 12 players on it? Where is this disconnect? Like, and what's happening? And what I find happen, happening is is that early on in that association, they have a seven-year-old who's five foot three, you know, weighs 90 pounds and can put a top shelf. Well, let's get him out of mites really early and throw him into the squared A team, have him play a 90-game schedule, win a state tournament. And you're like, sweet, that's awesome. But, but really, you're, you're not doing anything for the other, like, you know, 89 kids that are in mites right now, right? And you're expecting, then you're expecting these other mites to, like, enjoy their experience. And, like, it, there's, 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 there doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's why I always tell people, like, Great, you tell me you have 90 in your youth program. Like, you, you, we had 114 kids try, try hockey for free. Sweet. Well, how many did you get to come back? And then, what is your high school looking like? Because that's what, yeah. that's what really the shows the true character of an organization and an association is how you retain your players, right? And that's that, how you, you know, go on. I think I agree. I think the challenge for us looking forward, I don't think the challenge is doing that stuff. Like, I, yeah. I think it's it's just a matter of will and um, there's a lot of smart people and innovative ho- hockey people. Um, the challenge with hockey versus other sports is just the, you're almost a victim of your own success. And that if I grow McFarland's program uh, by 20% in the next three years, we're getting to the point of where would they be? Where would we put them? Um, mm-hmm. There's only so much ice in Dane County and ice is really, really expensive um, and so, uh, and that's, you know, that's sort of an annual battle is, is cajoling Christian into giving us the right ice. And he's got four, you know, a, the life of a rink manager is keeping every client happy and all that kind of stuff. So, um, that's more where we're at as an association is less about long-term concerns about being solvent, but more about what happens if we're successful, yeah. because, there might not be anywhere to put them or we'd really have to change our, our practice schedules and um, to move, move more kids into the association before COVID-19 concerns. We might have, we've done such a good job with recruitment. We have so many people working on it so hard that we might have four squirt teams this year, which would be amazing for McFarland. But then we, after celebrating for five minutes, we're like, Oh wait, like what, what are we going to do with four squirt teams? Like, that's a whole bunch more ice you got to buy that raises the cost of the association. Um, it pushes the older kids maybe into other ice times that aren't as healthy for them for school and learning, or like we've been talking is maybe we sacrifice game ice and we use it for practice. Yep. And that, that to me is the easier, that's the healthier option probably for kids, but um, we'll see how, we'll see how parents feel about it. But, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a great point. I love, uh, I know I know Dane County is a little bit different than um, other associations and things like that. I know like down in Illinois, it's incredibly hard to ice and things like that too. Um, you know, some rinks are really blessed to have uh, a good mixture of kids to ice time and things like that. But one of the things that I find interesting about uh, associations, people who are in your positions on the boards like that is how creative you guys get. Um, you know, I, I was I, I I had heard about it, and then I went down to MIA and I saw their outdoor rink, and they put it in the middle of their parking lot, and mm-hmm. I was like, that is awesome. I'm like, and then you see the other rinks that have, you know, like I was up in um, I think it was Hermantown, and you walk in, it's a one sheet facility, and you're like, oh, okay, it's good, and then you're like, well, how many kids do they have? And, they, and then also you look at Hermantown had like their association was like a thousand kids, and you're like. Where do they all skate? And then you walk out the back door to do stretches, and they got four outdoor rinks outside, right? And and that's those rinks are scheduled just as normally as the indoor rink. And you really find that people are very, getting very incredibly creative with the way they're getting ice time for their kids. And that is one of the downfalls right now. The situation right we're in with COVID right now is that our, our ability to be creative and and put you know like you know as well as I do right now, putting sixty kids on the ice as with squirts, it's not that bad. Like you can do it with your station base and you can have all 60 kids bang out in an incredible practice in that time. But now we're worried about, you know, social distancing and things like that. And, you know, is it safe now to put 60 kids on the ice? That's my, like, and that's something that is a volunteer association. You have to figure it out. And, you know, what, what is the right answer? Do we sit there and, you know, do we, do we get away from the game model on the weekends to make sure kids have ice? Do we form an outdoor rink? I mean, and finally, like we had a lakeside park and we had an outdoor rink and 
I know like I ran practice out there for my, my U8 girls team last year just because, one, I thought it was really cool to do. Like, it just, let's go practice outside. Yeah. And the room conditions weren't amazing by any means. But the thing is, it was an option. And I offered that option up to other one of my parents. I think, guys, this is something you can do if you're not happy with your ice time. Like, Bantam Group, instead of skating at 10 p.m., if you want to skate at 7, they got lights. Like, have fun. Like, and it's- The issue, I think the issue in, more so in, in Wisconsin than Minnesota, I don't mean to make it sound like Minnesota's perfect, but um, I do like to remind my Wisconsin friends that it's better. Uh, I think the difference in those, if you go to, you know, if you go to tournaments or you go skate in the Minneapolis, the communities there are all in on hockey and they they support rink development, all that stuff. Um, One of the big challenges for local hockey associations in, in Wisconsin is, is convincing your community village board is is hockey important you know will they build outdoor rinks in their parks and maintain them um, or let you maintain them uh, we don't own our rink as association there's a nonprofit that does but you know you, we, we don't really have control over those cool ideas we have to convince people that they're cool so um, it's probably something we should do a better job of but there's plenty of space in mcfarland to build outdoor rinks but because we're in the banana belt down here, you have to, it's, it's hard to keep the ice good. You, you either have to do what MIA did and, and build a, uh, and purchase a compressor and everything to refrigerate it. Or, you know, you'd have to, you know, cover it from the sun or whatnot, but, um, those things are all doable. It just takes willpower and, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, and this is what it's someone who's willing to do the work. And I think that's the, that's the biggest thing, is especially with volunteer clubs. It's always tough to find that person to say, I'm going to volunteer to do, take, take the lead on this and go. Um, and that's a struggle. And, 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 and you'll see it's, you know, associations, it's, it's, there's ups and downs. One year you have a person that's all in, and then that person's kid goes, and he might be a bench, and so he graduates and he's in high school, and now you're looking for someone up and fill that yep. role. And there's, 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 there's challenges there. Like, you know, and when you're working with your cities and sometimes and you're begging them to do that or to a rink, then, then one year it gets left aside. It gives them a, an excuse to be like, told you so. Like, it wasn't going to happen. You know, yeah. And, that, and that's, that is one of the difficult, that's one of the challenges to overcome as an association. How do you find the ice? How do you find the correct amount of development? And you said you're a victim of your own success. That's, that's so true. So many times, you know, like, you know, there's, there's, there is a, there's a level of how many kids you can have that leads to their development and, you know, and getting them what they need is you know, as far as terms of ice time to development. So. Yeah, we've had to re we've had to re redo our schedule quite a bit the last two years. Just to, we tried to cap our like anything over like forty five to fifty kids on the ice. It just it becomes um, and one it's a little trickier even with the station based yep. uh, program, which is amazing. But two for an organiz- organization like ourselves, we don't have a huge hockey culture like. Um, you mentioned earlier about worrying about people second guessing your practices and whatever. Most of our parents are not hockey people. Um, they become hockey people, of course, but, um, so I never felt like in McFarland, there's, you know, this huge mass of people like ex NHL players sitting in the stands, you know, judging you or something like that. So, um, the bigger issue though, is recruiting coaches from that parent group. Um, Mm -hmm. so if, um, how many people, like myself, can you convert from a basketball coach to a hockey coach? Because they like coaching they like kids and, and they have the right soft skills. That's the bigger issue for us for numbers of kids. So if you're running a station-based practice with five or six stations, then you probably need eight or nine good coaches on the ice. And that's a that, that can be a tall order. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is like I think a lot of coaching is very transferable. Um, sure. You know, like I have, I have baseball coaches that have never coached before, but they can stand and skate. I'm like, well, if you can stand and skate, I can use you. Like, and then it starts off with, you know, them being in the front of the line. I'm like, just make sure this line is ready to go when they're up and you can tell them go. And then it goes from that to, okay, like what, I'm not just going to stand here and tell a kid to go. The coach is like, I want to know what I'm looking for here. You're like, perfect. Talk to them about their knee bend. That's what you have to focus on. Yep. Can you sit in an imaginary chair to the coach? And the coach is like, I can try. There you go. Now you can teach the drill. Like you're sitting in a chair. And once, like you, once you, I don't know if you've had this experience, Ryan, but once you learn the sort of station-based ADM model, um, and that's your reality, yeah. then you go to your kids' other sports practices like baseball or softball, and they're doing like the old school stand around, and it's just 
it just drives you bonkers. Like you just, it's like, no wonder no one wants to play baseball. Like I'm going to stand around for two hours, you know, and maybe the ball will come to me eventually. Like, of course, you know, of course hockey's more fun, you know? So I had a, we, my daughter played baseball one year and I will give her baseball or I, I, I don't know what it was. They were using tennis balls. She was four. She had a good time. That's all. I mean, that's all that mattered for me, but I will tell you, her coach was, uh, she was a hockey player. She was a hockey coach. And I was really impressed. I watched her practices at the 6U level, and I was like, wow, she had four, you know, she had four tees, four kids were constantly hitting, and she had a parent sitting there would pick up, put a new tennis ball on the tee every time. Then she had another group that were running the bases. She had another group out, and, like, she had four stations going. I'm like, wow, that's a really good practice. And that, for me, was how I thought practices were until I would stick around with some of the other parents and watch the practice after. And there was a UA team, and I was like, what are they doing? Like, and it, it blew my mind. I'm like, why are there 10 kids standing in row to hit? Yeah. One, it literally was one coach pitching the ball to the, the, the hitters. There was a bunch of kids standing on the fence waiting to hit. And then after they would take like a few swings, wouldn't make contact, they would put the bat down, run to first, and then hop back at the end of the line. 30 minutes later, meanwhile, like shoving matches are breaking out in the dugout. One kid went to the bathroom, didn't come back. You know, another kid went for waters, begging mom to take him home. Yeah. It was so hot. You know, like I was like, well, I don't think this team's going to last very long, but hey, whatever, you know. And that's the thing is you can go to other practices and you're like, geez, oh, beats. And, and I was lucky enough to even have my daughter get And that's the other thing, too. I started requesting coaches at the other sports. I, I got smart at soccer. I saw I went to my assistant coach. I'm like, hey, you coach one of the soccer teams? Like, yeah. I'm like, cool. Uh, you're going to coach my daughter. And he's like, well, you know, usually it's grouped by schools. I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're coaching my daughter. Like soccer, I know how you soccer lends itself really well to the same development model and practice structure and all that kind of stuff. If you're going to a soccer practice and they're not doing station based or skill development, then they're really bad, really oh, bad. Yeah. So yeah, no. the other thing that's weird about hockey too, is like I started my daughter's best friend's a basketball player and started going to high school basketball games again. And it's been, 10 or 15 years since I was really into basketball. And now I was pretty much constantly begging in my head, the basketball players to run their game, like a hockey game. So like I was constantly like yelling in my head to break out and get up the floor faster and fill lanes and hit the fourth guy and activate your D, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it, it kind of just changes how you think about everything, but um, yeah, that's what's all good. No. And that's the thing I love about it is like, I, I, I love, and my wife was home because I said this year, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to coach. Like I'm going to coach soccer. And she's like, she kind of like laughed at me. She's like, you are going to coach soccer. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you've never played soccer. I'm like, I know. I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I think I know how to coach well enough to coach the game of soccer. And she's like, and I was like, and I was like, by the way, oh honey, haven't you watched my videos? I'm like, I preach at hockey coaches all the time. Go to YouTube, go to Instagram. I'm like, what do you think I've been doing at night for the last like 30 minutes before we go? I'm like, I'm researching soccer drills. I know what to do. I'm like, it's not that hard. I mean, it was, it, I was looking forward to, but our soccer season got canceled. Uh, but that was the other thing I didn't realize too, is like, it's, you know, hockey right now is going through an awesome time of we're just teaching development right now to our kids. We didn't have to have our actual seasons canceled. But when our soccer season got canceled here in Fonda, like one of the things I was like, well, why didn't they just do like a station base? Like, why didn't they just offer the practices up? Like you could easily, you know, teach kids the game of soccer without actually playing soccer. We have, we haven't played a game here in Fond du Lac since March, you know, yeah. but yet our kids have been on the ice the last three weeks. And I don't, I would, I would venture to guess none of my kids have said they've had a bad time and they've yeah. only done drills. That's the thing yeah. about, um, I think, that's kind of what I was saying earlier, soccer and baseball got caught up in the timing of the outbreak. Yeah. And I think, just the overall uncertainty and being quarantined anyway, that they took the brunt of that and that hockey can yeah. learn from that. Um, I don't know. I, I very rarely ever see kids in our practices not have fun, you know, and if yeah. it, if a kid isn't having fun in a USA hockey practice with good coaches, it's because the coaches are not making it fun. You know, like we all tend to overcoach and we tend to, we, we, we try to encourage kids to not be afraid of failure, but then we don't tolerate failure and we're yelling at them or getting up frustrated or upset or whatnot. So mostly like if you put together a good practice and you start and end with good small area games and stuff, like the kids are exhausted, they're laughing, they're joking, they're all best friends. I mean, it's, 
that's the way hockey is. I mean, I don't, I don't worry too much. I mean, it's a good barometer. If kids are just kind of lethargic on the ice and stuff, then I would worry about my practice. But normally, that's not, not the case. So, it's one of the things too that I've learned from doing these interviews, and it's one of the reasons I, I, I love even repeating what these coaches are saying is like, like as a coach, we can control a lot, but in the end, we're just coaches. We don't impact. We can't play the game, but. The one thing that we can do is we can control the excitement level and how much fun a practice is. And and that starts with like preparation, that starts with learning about it. It starts with how enthusiastic you are about the practice. I mean, I've had times where my mind has been gone, so I get on the ice and I'm just kind of like, I feel like I'm going through the motions. And then as I take a step back and like kind of snap out of it 10, 15 minutes into it, you realize the kids are doing the same thing. They're emulating what you're doing. So your level of excitement's not there, but then there's moments like like today. I don't know why I was feeling good today. I came out and I was on fire. I was, I mean, I dominated my practice today. I, thought, I, mean, I, had, a, I had a good practice, like, and you know what? I realized all the kids were having a lot of fun with it too. And I was actually having to corral the kids. Like, all right, guys, like stop talking. Like let's let's like you know, and they were having such a good time. And next thing I know, I look and you know we're, we're ten minutes past where we should have been. And I was like, oh boy, we gotta get off the ice. And some of the kids are like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's it's like. 10, 10, we got to go. And they're like, oh, wow, like that went quick. I'm like, yeah, it did. And like, I got off the ice and I was like, man, that was a fun practice. Like, that was a good time. And all the kids were laughing. They were having a good time afterwards. And that's where, like, it's, it's you know, like I always tell coaches, like, you want to have your kids have fun? Like, you control their experience. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing. To me, that's the hardest thing of coaching is putting away your day and whatever crap day you had at work yeah. or whatnot and, and not pushing that on the kids, you know, and, um, you know, hopefully you got a relationship with your other coaches where if you're in one of those moods, they can, they can call you out on it. Um, my kid tends to be the one that calls me out on it. And, um, I check in with him a lot. I can't, one of your speakers talked a lot about, um, talking to the kids on the way home from games and practices. And, um, I can usually tell when I've not been great or, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, that that sort of emotional leadership is probably just as important um, as some, you know, technical skill you were trying to teach. So yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're gonna get wrapping it up here real quick here, but I just want to have uh, you on for one last question. The question I have is, what piece of advice would you give to somebody uh, who's looking to get involved in a youth youth organization? Yeah. Um, we're really lucky in McFarland this year. We just did our spring meeting over Zoom, which is, of course, weird. Uh, but we had six six people nominated for four positions and all, like, really great candidates. And I couldn't believe how how lucky we are to have a lot of people that are willing to give in. Um, my number one advice, or I guess the characteristic of good nonprofit unpaid board members versus not as good is you've got to be uh, – uh, you got to come to the position w as a really good listener um, mm -hmm. and you have to have kind of a service mindset. So um, this isn't going to be about you. Um, yep. Sometimes coaching is about you and your kid, but this isn't, you've got to be a, a president or a board member for all the kids and families. And um, it might require you to really reset your internal compass on what's important and what's not important and realize that, you know, maybe you're wrong about things or maybe the things you think are that important maybe aren't as important for other folks. So has that been, has that been difficult for you? I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things is becoming a youth hockey president is understanding that like now you're, 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 you, you can essentially are responsible for everyone's development, right? You're, you're, you're responsible for the, not really responsible for it, but you can play a big part of that. And that's where like, it's tough because you're not just looking at what's best for your kid anymore. And half the time, I bet your kid takes a back seat to a lot of things, which is some way that it is for coaches as well. Um, but like, is that, talk to me about that. Is that, and how difficult is that? Now you're, you're looking out for everybody's best yeah. right now. You're not just looking out for your sons. It's not your, or your son's team. Now it's from the Mike blue kid to the Bantam A, right? Yeah. It's, it is challenging. Um, I think, you know, our association has great people and great parents, and it's, it's not as challenging as as maybe others, um, certainly mm -hmm. the really big organizations. I have friends that are on the board in Osseo Maple Grove in Minnesota, and they're, they run a multi-million dollar budget and 
you know, they've got 35 square teams and stuff like that. So, like, it's not that hard in McFarland, right? Yeah. You know, um, but, um, you know, you, you quickly learn the value of bylaws and rules yeah. and good bureaucracy and um, how important it is to kind of kind of take your cues from Waha or USA Hockey and that there's good reasons for some of those rules and um, and you know it's so easy to want to corrupt those rules for like you said earlier that best you know that seven year old that's going to be the next Wayne Gretzky and so he's got to play on the Bantam team when he's 11 or something like that like um, it's just so nice now that Waha is taking a lot of that more seriously so it kind of takes the pressure off of local organizations to police that as much and stuff so it it does it, it does require um a really good set of people um and and good rules by a lot of that stuff and probably the most important position the two most important positions on the board are really not the president it's your communications director because um, yep. you really can't over communicate to parents um and your treasurer so um none of those two things i want to do on a daily basis so i'm really lucky that we have other people that like to do that kind of stuff or they might not like it so much as they've agreed to do it so um so anyway i probably get more credit than i deserve you bring up rules and that's one of the things too that you know i've run into with uh, you know hockey factory things and things like that and um you know some parents like that rules ridiculous it doesn't make much sense right it's you know and that's where like you know when I first got into my position, I was always like, yeah, things aren't always, shouldn't be black and white. They shouldn't. And, um, you know, like there's always a gray area. Like what if that, you know, seven-year-old should play in the Bantam A team? Um, you know, like what if we're holding him back? But then as you get in the game longer and you start realizing that, um, you know, like there, it's, it stinks that we have black and white rules. But the, but the thing is, is that, and I'm sure you can experience the problem why there always is black and white rules sometimes is because people exploit things yeah and people find loopholes within them and it's like and that loop and those loopholes are finding are usually generally self-serving and yes you're like you're like like this is like like yeah i didn't like the rule i know you don't like the rule but guess what someone's going to exploit it without that rule and it makes no sense and then parents are like well we gotta and like no like but you don't understand like like you're looking at this from the up top angle of I'm protecting everybody. Right. And that's where some people are like, well, they don't see it because all, all they see is I got to get Johnny to Tony Granado as fast as possible. <laughs> and what's that route, right? That route is that rule. And I got to take that rule out so I can make sure Granado's calling me and sending me Christmas cards. Like, so well, I mean, or Bob Mosco cause they're a better yeah. team, but um, yeah, no, I get you. It, yeah. it is. It's, and not all the rules are smart and you know, our association worked with region four to try to make some rule changes and there's a process for all that, but, um, it, it is, that's probably the, that's kind of a constant battle and I don't, I don't mind the battle and sometimes the back and forth is really good. And you, th you think of things that you need to improve or change, but, um, trying to pull people out of their kind of narrow mindset about how this is impacting their kid and then think about the broader picture is, um, we just can't expect parents are always going to see that. So that's why you have a board and they have yep. rules and they stick to them. So, yeah. And it's good. And that's the other thing too, is that with a board, you have people that can bounce ideas off of too. And I mean, I, I will admit too, that we've, I've had rules that we've, we've, we've changed. We've, we've said, you no, know, like if parents come to us and be like, no, you're, you're right. Like we're wrong. Like yeah. that rule, that rule is antiquated now. It's not worth it. Like it's not, it's not, it's not how the game is played. So yeah, let's, let's, let's move on from there. But I think it's the other thing too is you have to you have to support. And one of the great things I also think Waha is doing and USA Hockey's done this is that there is no shortage of information out there for people like yourself. And in addition, there's no shortage of information. There's no shortage of people that you can contact that can also come in and support your association. Yeah. And I think that's it's it's huge. You talk about working with Region Four and um you it's not just like I'm you're in these battles alone or you know as as an association, but you have people that you can rely on. And and the great thing is that what USA Hockey and Wah have done is they've put some pretty good minds in those positions, right? <laughs> that can that can yeah. support you. And we could probably even do better. I think that's yeah. um USA Hockey does a great job of coach yeah. development. I'm not sure Waha is as good as it could be on or uh organization to organization yeah. partnership thing. I Part of it's just our own fault. Like, um, I became 
I really valued the Janesville president was the region four president and he did a great job the last couple of years. And even though if you're from McFarland, you have to hate Janesville with every fiber of your being, um, he was really valuable in sort of connecting us as organizations and talking about things as a group and all that stuff. It's just, it all comes down to communication. And in these days we live in an era where there's really no excuse to not communicate because of social media and cell phones and, it's just, it's a will, you know, a will to yep. do it. So um, that's probably, that's probably something that Waha could probably even do better, you know. Yeah, we always can improve. That's one of the But they're good, they're good at the coach and doing a lot of new stuff for coaches and player stuff, that for sure. So one last question for you, um, and that's, um, give me one piece of advice you're going to give to your son right now if, that he could take on for the rest of his hockey journey. Yeah, well, he's 13, so he doesn't listen to anything I say right now. But um, eventually, he might pay attention to me. Um, it's funny. I was talking to a lot of parents of 13-year-olds that have gone through the COVID stay-at-home, and it's like a very similar thing, a lot of similarities in how kids are dealing with this. Um, rebellion is the general term, I would call it. Um, anyway, uh, the number one thing I always tell Ty and um, all the kids that I coach is, really mastering their fear of failure um yep. hockey hockey makes me think about that more than a lot of other sports because it's so technical and um so challenging uh you know just in terms of your physical all the things you're doing constantly it's just incredible that's what makes it such a great sport but um you know, whatever level you're at, doesn't matter. You're going to plateau or you're going to get to a point where your mind is convincing you that you can't do something and that somehow failing is bad. It's a bad thing. And what we always tell our kids in practice is, you know, you're not here to show me what you can already do. That's not what practice is. That might be what a game is, but practice is let's work on, let's, let's fail forward, right? Let's, let's find a way to, to, to do something new today that you couldn't do before. And, um, you know, whether it's Ty or any of the kids, even the worst skaters, I get super pumped up and excited for them when they can do whatever, you know, stop, stop on their outside edges, you know, or any, any fun challenge. And if they fall over, my favorite thing is to watch really, really good players just absolutely suck at something for two practices and, and see how they deal with it. You know, um, Ty's doing that, just that intelligent computer mm -hmm. thing and you know i've learned a lot of new swear words by listening to him try try that um and it's just fun watching him deal with the fact that they've purposely created something that you shouldn't be able to do like you have to learn how to overcome your brain to do it that's that's kind of what hockey is every day so yeah. and that's awesome i love the fact you brought up failure for your son because that's something that like i was on the ice today and i remember i we were doing a drill with the kids where it was a one-on-one -on -one first and the two kids that came out of the corner on the one-on-one -on -one would attack a guy at the blue line, and it was a one-on-two. And then those three players, once the drill ended, it became uh, there was another player on the other blue line, on the other side of the blue line, and when I blew the whistle, all three of those players became the same team. It became a one-on-three. And the other coaches on the ice with was like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, why not? Like, I'm like, they're supposed to not be able to, like, like, I'm trying to get them to understand that the practice is supposed to be harder. Like, I'm not supposed to, like, win that you're not supposed to like be able to, to accomplish everything in practice like, i want to see them fail i want to see them like be be harder than what it is in a game and he's like well no one's going to be the three-on-one and i'm like you watch one kid will figure it out and then sure enough right after he said it one kid toe drag two kids ran into each other the kid walked all alone and scored i was like see he figured it out he but needs to watch squirt hockey i'm pretty sure squirt hockey is pretty much just one on five most of the time so uh yeah. no i think the best players and the best the most probably the best trait you can have as an athlete is how do you deal with adversity and failure and hockey challenges you every second you're on the ice, you know, and you can just watch the kids that um, almost love, you know, the challenge. Like if you said to them, like, now you got to go one on three, you know, I think the kids that are like, awesome, let's figure this out or they can figure out a way to cheat, you know, like those are the players I really like because they are smarter than the game, you know. Those are the, those are, that's why I like the game oriented practices so much more than the cone drill, you know, root rote sort of stuff. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's probably the most important thing. I don't, I don't know how to teach that or coach that. And he doesn't listen to me, but that's what I, I, I wish for him. 
That's what I'd say. Yeah, and that's where like it's it's awesome. Like when you get the kids, like I we talk about learning how to like cheat drills, something like that. Those one on one drills, like I was telling the kids the other day, there like, one kid kept he kept on when I right when I like he was anticipating my whistle. So right as he was anticipating the whistle and he was on defense, he would just slash the puck away. And the other kid be like, What the heck, man? I'd be like, dude, it's not my fault he's anticipating the whistle. Like I like you need as a player to figure that out. And he's like, well, he's, it's like, right as you're blowing the whistle, the puck's off my stick. I'm like, well, why is your stick, why is the puck so close to his stick? And he's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, figure it out, man. Like, and he's like, okay, okay. Like, so they, and then they learn how to figure that stuff out. They learn how to play the game. And um, like I, I told one of the parents I was talking to, I got one time I got the guys, like, that was a good practice. And he was like, seriously? He's like, they couldn't do anything out there. I'm like, yeah, because I put them in like odd man situations the entire. What do you expect them to do when there's five guys right. in one corner? Like, I'm like, that's how they're gonna learn. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Let them have a one on O to the net? Like, what's he gonna learn from that? It might look really good. I'm like, but that's not gonna help anybody out. That's that's like, the thing. Um, what I'm worst at is taking my own advice, and so what I would tell you is, um, here I'm telling all of our kids to fail forward and not be uptight when they fail. And then you, you try that new game or that new drill that you're so excited about and like, this is going to be amazing. And then they just absolutely suck at it and you're yelling at them and stuff. And then you realize, Oh, well crap. I just told them they're not supposed to fear failure, but then, you know, here comes coach, you know, breathing fire down their neck, you know, when they're failing. So that's, that's the hardest thing about coaching is, is pulling out, pulling out from the, the red zone and just like letting them do it. Like, and you see that in games too. And, I'm probably as bad as anyone else. I know there's a couple of my friends that are coaches that I coach against. They laugh at me all the time because I'm, you know, I talk too much on the bench, you know, during games and stuff. So it, it's just, uh, it's, it's just something I got to work on too, as a coach, just like all those kids need to work on. Yeah. I love, I love you, Rob, taking your own advice. That's I, my, I do it all the time too. Like I'll scrap a drill quick if it doesn't like, if I don't like the way it's flowing and then I sit there and go like, Oh, but, like the reason why it's not going is one, maybe I didn't explain it well enough. Two, it's a new drill. There's like four different things going on. And what I always tell, tell coaches sometimes, like when a drill doesn't seem to be working, join the drill. And then, yeah. like, then you'll realize like you forgot one of the parts. Like yeah. <laughs> it happened to me the other day. I was yelling at the kids. I'm like, remember to pass it across. Like, well, I mean, you, and then all of a sudden I joined the drill and the kid behind me is like, uh, you got to coach, you're up. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> looking yeah. at me like, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so like, I had to take a step back and be like, how about guys? Like that's on me. Like I apologize. But, yeah, we were, we were really lucky this year. We had some high school kids or college kids come and, and join and do drills and stuff too. And I used to do that all the time as I would try out drills on those kids. Cause um, either they couldn't do it cause it's a stupid drill or I wasn't coaching it right. Or it often made me realize like, oh man, these are kids that grew up outside of the USA hockey sort of model, ADM model. And there's a lot of things that even good players that are, you know, 19, 20 years old from small town, Wisconsin, that they were never taught when they were kids. Like our kids are just so much better at that stuff than, than they are now. So I'm kind of excited to see how that translates up the line here in a few years, but. Absolutely. Well, I, uh, Usually I try to keep these an hour and we're well past that. But I just want to say, I'm going to wrap things up here. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I had an awesome time talking with you. Um, I was so excited you could be on. Um, I could have went on for another probably 30 minutes here. So, But thank you for coming on. Do you have any last things you'd like to add on this or anything like that? Thanks for having me. And uh, to all the other organizations out there, uh, we're wishing you the best of luck too. And buckle up. It's going to be an interesting year. It absolutely is. And thank you again for coming on. And for everyone else out there, um, we are on next Wednesday uh, noon. We have uh, ADM Regional Manager Dan Jablonik on uh, from Illinois. So he'll, he's the ADM Regional Manager for Illinois, and he'll be on next Wednesday at noon. Other, outside of that, check out some of the clips we have at 2 p.m. Andy, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was an awesome interview, and uh, uh, just a real pleasure to have you on. So uh, thank Thanks, you again. Man. Thanks for coming on.